happening, Steph. Do it. Woo! Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special Claiming Territory episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and a very dear special guest, Mike McCoy. Big Mike McCoy. So, folks, um, we are so blessed to have this brother in Christ with us. And I'm going to tell you that the theme for tonight, I'm kind of playing off the fact that tonight is a very significant State of the Union address. I think this is an urgent hour in American history. We who have a prophetic calling to uh, articulate, to communicate, to radiate the values of the kingdom, certainly in the human form, the virtues that are the foundation of our country and our our commission, our call to live and, and be benefited, each of us have, from this society, which is the greatest this world has truly ever known for the good of every human person. As Churchill said, uh, democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other ones that have been tried from time to time. But we have built into our Constitution a proposition that these values are anchored in our Creator God. It's woven into the very nature of our government, and it's been tried, it's been tested. We've seen the aberrations of it. Each of us are working out our own messes, but this is a miracle. We are living a miracle that many died for, that they gave their lives for. And it's been brittle, right? It's been fragile over the last days, weeks, months, and years. And we're not pronouncing anybody perfect. We're not pronouncing any party perfect. We're not pronouncing ourselves perfect. In fact, we're coming before God and simply saying, Lord, reveal to us more who we are in you, that we may live it fully and recognize with the greatest freedom, allowing individual choice, the opportunity to live this out. To navigate from entitlement, which was never part of the gospel, to empowerment. To recognize that institutions cannot love, only people can. So tonight we are doing a little play on this State of the Union address, praying for our president and all our government officials, no matter where you stand, that we recover all of us, the needle pointing due north in uh, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. We're playing off that theme, State of the Union address, and calling this State of the Teen Soul address. And really, there's few, if any, who are better able to address that tonight than Mike McCoy. Now, before I get too far ahead of myself, you're wondering, what does this awesome football player have to do with understanding the teen soul? Well, let me give you a background. For starters, and for my wife's delight, first and foremost, he's a a native of Erie, Pennsylvania. He's a graduate of Cathedral Prep High School. He graduated from the University of Notre Dame, where he played football and was a consensus All-American. He was chosen UPI Lineman of the Year, was sixth in the Heisman Trophy balloting his senior year. He was the number one draft choice to the world's greatest NFL team, Green Bay (laughs) Packers. Okay, I admit that. A little bit of bias there, opinion. Where he played defensive tackle. He played 11 years in the NFL, seven with Green Bay, two with Oakland Raiders, and two with the New York Giants. He received many awards, including Packers Rookie of the Year, Packers Dodge NFL Man of the Year, Notre Dame Pro Player of the Year, yada, yada, yada. There's so much I could say about this awesome man of God. I met him simply by awareness that he has chosen, had chosen in his um, retirement years to devote himself to bringing the gospel to high school kids throughout the country, to communicating his own story, his own truth that would open up their hearts and minds to know Jesus Christ beyond just jumping through the motions, beyond just the ritual and the religion that you and I know. He gets that relationship 
is the heart of all this. And so important for all of us to know, as much as we've maybe encountered Christ, that horizon is vast. And God wants us to know him ever more deeply. And I would submit to you that that is the heart of revival in marriages, in families, in schools, in this world. The degree to which we recognize truly a loving, personal God and Savior who took on flesh and blood, and we can truly have a relationship with him. Before we now get into that awesome journey, I want to welcome you, Mike, and ask you, what are your thoughts on this recent Super Bowl 54? Well, Greg and Stephanie, it's good to be with you again, and I'm thrilled to be on Nunciation Radio and uh, all the friends and family and people that are listening. Uh, God bless everybody, and especially this time in our country. Uh, I have to correct you one thing, Greg. I'm not retired. Oh, of course. (laughs) It will never happen. I am working working harder and longer than I have in a long time. I believe that. My apologies. uh, You're dying with your boots on. It's okay. You're dying with your cleats on. Because I played in the NFL before money, so I never retired. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, we had an opportunity, my wife and I, to... To Eileen to go down to Miami and be involved in some great functions, uh, two with the University of Notre Dame at Notre Dame at the Super Bowl and two and a couple with the National Football League Players Association awesome. and uh, the Legends uh, organization. So we had a chance to see a lot of people and meet to see a lot of old friends, meet some new friends, and the atmosphere down there was really incredible. And, and the game, you know, we didn't stay for the game. I can't sit in those little seats mm. anymore. So we drove <laughs> back two seats, huh? on Sunday and we watched the game from home and it was a tremendous football game. And it sure was. Kansas City Chiefs did it again. And, uh, you know, this Pat Mahomes is an incredible guy. I have yeah. a friend of mine named Ed Mooney who, who lives in Lubbock, and he saw him play in Lubbock. And, and someone asked, his wife asked him, said, Ed, what do you think? Is that played with the Detroit Lions? He said, when he gets in the pros, they're going to eat him alive. <laughs> well, I guess not, you know. And he happens to be a great young quarterback, 24 years old. Um, he handles himself like he's 30 or mm. 40 and a great background and uh, strong, uh, strong mom, you know, like most of the mm. athletes have in our lives and strong moms. And, uh, and so he uh, seems to be uh, on course to uh, do it right. And it was great to see him in the interviews with the two mm-hmm. crosses on his chest. Yep. So I was very you know, impressed with that. He's not hiding. He's yeah. not hiding his faith. You know, he's Give not glory perfect, to God. Like you say, none of us are, sure but, he's, but he knows where, where that strength comes from. Well, football, as you know, is, is an alter at which many worship. And all the analogy is there, right? They spend time and money and energy and sacrifice, all those things. And certainly there's goodness in sports. You were in the midst of them and encountered Christ in them, which you're going to share with us briefly. But what an invitation to use that stage of glory and point it towards God, which he did so wonderfully. Um, I have to ask, Mike, did you run across any of these greats, names that we may know while you were down there, people they featured? Yeah, uh, Mean Joe Green. Oh, that's yes. great. Steelers. Yes. Saw Joe and uh, Mel Blount, who was, you know, he's six. He's still six three. Looks like he can play quarterback. He mm. was incredible, and uh, ran across those two guys and uh, and uh, and uh, defensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Randall John Randall. Mm. Uh, this guy played sixteen years in the NFL, had one hundred thirty two sacks, and he still likes. He still looks he can play. And everyone <laughs> thought I was big, and I have a picture with John Randall and me, and uh. and people say, "Well, Mike, you're not that big," and, and he's been out of the league since two thousand. Uh, four or something like that, and, and he's he's just incredible, and what a great guy too, and that's humble awesome. Hall of Fame guy, and we had a chance to chit chat with him, and did uh, you saw Mark Brunel, you know, who oh, that's played, great. In the, played in the league, so we saw a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of fun. Did you offer Mean Joe Green a Coke? By oh, chance. Good one, Steph. No, 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 no. <laughs> you didn't get his jersey. That's we wanted your jersey. We had a. 
Yeah, a lot of people don't remember that commercial, Stephanie. We're we're we're, we're the like the Damn last generation so that's here. Okay. So. <laughs> that's awesome. We'll, we'll claim it. Well, we'll claim it. Yeah, and Mike, Mike, yeah. we play tribute to your uh, to the remaining brain cells after getting hit by the likes of Walter Payton, which I'm sure. Do you ever wake up with cold sweat in the middle of the night from some of those uh, interactions? Embedded in your memory yeah, and consciousness. I, 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 usually, my my nightmares were with my sister when I was growing up. Yeah. But, uh, that, <laughs> that's great. She was she was four years older than me. She tormented me for oh, a long time. Great. Have you ever told her that? I'm sure you have. I'm sure. Don't yeah, worry. yeah. Unfortunately, you know, she passed away uh, oh. four years ago. But uh, oh. we uh, we've had we had fun with that uh, over the years. That's great. So Steph's going to set us up for Revelations twelve eleven. Go ahead, honey. Well, there was the setup for the setup. So we love to proclaim the scripture verse from Revelations twelve eleven. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, our beautiful gift of our Holy Mass, and by the word of their testimony. And Mike, we're delighted once again to have you back with us and to hear um, your testimony. In, in, on many different levels, but let's just uh, go way back and give us a brief um, history, if you will, of your days in Erie PA and how you came to know yeah. and love the Lord. Yeah, you know, I grew up obviously in a Catholic family, very religious family. Even though my mom and dad didn't go to church all the time, they're more Easter and Christmas and May Day. Um, so, but I went all the time, and I was an altar boy at St. John the Baptist, mm. great, great school in Erie, and went to St. John the Baptist there, and I'm graduated, and uh, and I went to the seminary. I was in the seminary my freshman year at St. Mark's Seminary in Erie, and I thought I had to call, and Father Tellers came in and says, you know, all you, oh, you guys have a call to the priesthood, and I said, okay, so off I went for a year, and, mm. <laughs> and it became uh, very apparent to me towards the end of my freshman <laughs> year that uh, this, this wasn't uh, my path, and so I ended up going to cathedral prep high school and really hardly played football at all, and uh, when I was couldn't play in eighth grade because I was overweight in grade school and and they had a weight limit of 150 pounds and I went past that pretty quick in fifth grade <laughs> and so it really wasn't until my sophomore year wow. that I started playing football prep and through one senior McDonald and Tony Zambrowski my coach there right. and uh, the, the the priests and the nuns that were still teaching uh, we received a tremendous not only great education but also the foundation of uh, my faith and understanding a little bit more and, and off I went to the University of Notre Dame and you know had the philosophy and theology classes and uh, got involved with that and went to church as much as I could. But you just got to a point when I was at Notre Dame taking these philosophy and theology classes that I said, you know, what is this all about? Even the philosophers don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. And, you know, and it arose, arose, arose. I'll never forget that. I said, okay. And, and Camus and Cart, and they seemed to ask all these questions and there seemed to be no answers. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of backed off from my faith internally, not externally, because I was a people pleaser. So I kept going, you know, because I felt that duty and obligation. I felt guilty if I didn't go, and, and I would do something wrong, and I felt guilty and try to try to change my behavior. But as we know, that doesn't happen from the outside. It happens from the inside. And I went off mm-hmm. to the Green Bay Packers and met Carol Dale and Bart Starr, and mm-hmm. two great individuals. Mm-hmm. And, and Carol Dale really became my friend, and it was through Carol Dale's influence that I saw a difference in his life in Bart Starr and a few other guys on the team that uh, they were living their life uh, as people built for others. They're always other-centered, not self-centered. And uh, they were very, very, very religious people. And I said, wow, this is kind of interesting. NFL guys, religious. <laughs> and so Carol invited me to come to chapel program. And, you know, the, all the teams travel with priests, and they have been doing that for a long time. And, 
and they also have a chapel service on Sunday morning. It's interdenominational. Whoever wants to come can come. And so when Carol asked me to do that, I figured, you know, Carol, I know who God is. I know who Jesus Christ is. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in the church, and you know, I know who God is. And, um, you know, I'm trying to do good, but, you know, I'm kind of failing here. And so I was very curious about this thing called chapel. I was never heard about it. And it was started in the late 50s by a guy named uh, Bill Glass and Raymond mm-hmm. Berry. And so every team said chapel doesn't get a lot of publicity. So I went to chapel, and I listened to these business people. They were not priests or, or pastors or anything like that. It was business people from local community or former NFL players that would come and conduct chapel for half hour and 35 minutes. And as I was listening to them, their stories were quite similar to mine, even though maybe their faith background was different, that they just got to a point in time where they got frustrated with their faith and that they wanted to change, but they finally realized the change happens from the inside, mm-hmm. not the outside. It has to be a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. That they invited Christ in their life and how that empowered them through the power of the Spirit to make changes on the outside. And so it's an ongoing process. And, and this thing called the personal relationship, I never heard about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just said, this is very interesting. So that year I continued to go, and that off-season I attended an FCA camp in Marseille, North Carolina, and uh, one of the uh, guys came up to me and says, Mike, we want you to speak on Wednesday night to this group of 800 athletes, and they're from all over the country, pretty much from the South, all different different denominations about what it means to be a Christian pro athlete. Mm. And that hit me. I said, you know, I don't think I'm a Christian. Wow. You know, I'm a religious person, I'm a believer, but I don't know if I'm a really, That's truly awesome. follower of Jesus That's Christ, honest. even though I was trying, but it was just falling short. So it was there at a hillside in Marseille, North Carolina, that opened up my heart as Christ had come into my life and it gave me the direction that I needed and the power that I needed to change. And so from that point on, that was between my first and second year. What year, roughly, Mike? It's been a growth process. What year was that? Yeah, roughly. Oh, gosh, 19, 1971, okay, June of 1971. You. Yeah, and uh, so I came back my second year and started to help Carol Lee Chapel. I... I Gotten, you know, my, I, I continued to go to church, and I, I got involved with the CCD classes, teaching CCD classes mm-hmm. in my uh, parish, a uh, little farm community, St. Ed's, outside of uh, Green Bay, and got involved with that. And uh, Bob Morneau, who was a priest in, mm-hmm. here in Green Bay at the became time, bishop. became bishop, got to know him very well, and he got wow. experienced the same thing in his life. And uh, he was friends of uh, my late wife's uncle, Father Ray Dowling. So I kind of ran in those circles in Green Bay. And I started to grow and get involved in conferences and getting to God's Word and learning and experiencing uh, all these different things that he has for us. And not that life was easy. You know, we always have trials and tribulations. There always will be that. But it's the understanding of who God is and what's going on. And uh, started to... um, do some assemblies and did some little prison work when I played football. And of course, we all worked during the off season, so I didn't have much time to do much else. And then uh, when I got out of the league in 1980, I was back in Pennsylvania and had a couple of different things going on. In 1986, I really felt the call when an organization called me to take the platform of a former NFL player into the schools because this organization saw what was happening in our culture and the decline at that mm-hmm. time. And so about five of us were hired. And I uh, took that leap of faith, and my late wife, Kia, went to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went involved full-time in the ministry. I've been doing that ever since. And um, so I started to see things in our culture back then and what was happening and mm-hmm. reading these different comic cards. And uh, then I was on uh, Bill Glass's staff, Bill Glass Ministries, for, gosh, 19 years, and continued to do and train pro-athletes on how to speak in, in public schools, private schools. Now we're doing juvenile detention centers. We're going into prisons, San Quentin Prison, you know, all these prisons Amazing. all across the country. 
and uh, you know, networking with the local churches and how to do that. And and then uh, you know that downturn came in 2008. So within uh, oh, I would say uh, six months after the downturn, they laid off almost 60 percent of the staff because uh, funds were going down. So I'm sitting, you know, at the age of 59, 60. I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do now? And I'll never forget, I was in Marin County at the time, speaking of Marin County, County High School, Catholic High School, and um, and I was still kind of under the umbrella of Bill Glass, but I knew that wasn't going to last much longer. And so it became very clear to me that God says, you know, just go full-time into speaking to students in Catholic schools for the message of faith, hope, and encouragement, and did that ever since then, since I think we're going on nine years with Mike McCoy Ministries, and that's what we do. We 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 we, we reach students in Catholic schools with the message of faith, hope, and, and encouragement, and we do that through assembly settings. And we have two different programs, grades two through five, is the value and worth of a person through God's eyes, because these young people are getting so inundated, mm. you know, especially in the last 10 years with the Internet and mm-hmm. iPhones mm-hmm. and different friends world and uh, cultural changes. The difference, it's a different world out there than you can even imagine. And it's, it's affecting every student. I don't care if you're white, black, brown, mm. pink. Um, right. you Mike, know, can I pause here for a second? Are, can I pause sure. it for a second? I want to go into that. That was a fabulous uh, background. Yes, and folks, if you want to hear the fuller story, we do have an episode that uh, we're blessed to have Mike share the longer story in. And But what was decisive, I think, um, folks, you're tuning in Night Radio Live. We have Big Mike McCoy with us, NFL standout for the Packers and uh, Notre Dame. And he's speaking around the country right now, touching hearts. What was decisive, Mike, is you painted kind of the swath of the dutiful Catholic who had a compunction to be faithful and go to church. Church, the religion, the ritual, it was part of your life, so that alone may distinguish you from maybe many listeners who maybe came about that later or whatever. But what's decisive is you had a, a, an encounter of some sort. And we want to, I want to invite you just to maybe take a moment and elaborate on the difference. And for some, I know this was a big moment. For others, it was over time. We know the grace was conferred in our sacraments, got that. Mm-hmm. But as much as you can, explain for our listeners, you know, what is that like? What's the fruit of it? We hear, we hear you talk about it, but can you describe a little bit for those who maybe are wondering, have I had that? And what is it? And why is it so important? Well, it's like it's like the choices we make in our lives. You know, I have uh, what's called the three D's: decisions determine our destiny, and the choices we make today, and the things we put into our mind and our heart, will determine who we will become in a very short period of time. There's mm-hmm. nothing we can do by yesterday that's gone. But uh, as I was sitting uh, at that in that uh, Mars Hill campus and contemplating what. Uh, this, uh, one of the staff guys came up and asked me to do, and I finally had to come to that point that I'm a religious person, but I'm really not a follower, not really mm-hmm. committed, and never made that free will step on my own because it's always out of duty and obligation and fear and superstition instead of out of love. Mm-hmm. And God, as we know, God is a spirit. He's, his spirit is, is out of love, and he's come to give us life now and for mm-hmm. eternity. And I was always trying to work for it. I was always trying to earn something, and I always fell short, and that's what... That's what really, uh, I think, uh, frustrated me. And so when I came to that point and finally understood what Carol Dale was sharing with me, that uh, I made that at some point in time, you got to make, you, you don't have to make a decision. It's up to you, obviously, the Spirit of God will lead you to do that. But you come to that point in time, intellectually and then spiritually, to make that to make that leap, and that's when I said, you know, Lord, I've never really I've done this on my own. Mm. I, was, I was sitting in a 
I was sitting in a stadium, uh, empty stadium on campus at Mars Hill, off to the side, and just opened up my heart and asked Christ to come in and actually said a prayer. I said, you know, Lord, I've gone my own way. I've tried to do things alone, but I've tried to follow you, but I've failed many times. Sorry for the things I've done wrong. My life called sin. Uh, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Uh, come into my heart, come into my life, and you make me the kind of person you want me to be. Mm-hmm. See, God will never force himself on anybody. He says, I'm here, I'm available, you've got to make that choice. And when I made that choice, there was a difference. I'm not saying that I jumped up and down and had mm-hmm. this, you know, emotional experience, but there was a there was a feeling, I guess, uh, that, you know, it is different. And uh, that night I spoke in front of 800 athletes, say, hey, this is kind of what I did this afternoon. Ooh, That's what all they knew at that time. And uh, started to grow, you know, the growth process. Because mm. now I was excited to get into God's Word instead of just Sunday to Sunday mm. and uh, start studying it and learning and uh, understanding the depth of Christ. And I'm learning every day awesome. uh, as I read God's Word and being involved in different Bible studies over the years and different conferences. And uh, so it's just been, it's been, it's been a process. That's awesome. And uh, for me, but it started in June of 1971. Mm, thank you. And I think, I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't know when, but, you know, I, I know when I started playing football, it said there was a difference, and I know when I went up my heart to Christ and the Spirit worked in my heart, that there was a difference. So to me, it was a point in time. So, folks, uh, just something you said, I want to slow it down a little bit just for everyone to absorb this. Our decisions determine our destiny. Was that accurate, the mm-hmm. 3Ds? Okay. And 3Ds, wh- yeah. What I heard you say also, Mike, is that um, it was personal and that it was from your heart and that an evident fruit of it, and maybe for all of us who are listening to consider, an evident fruit is that it went from obligation to you desired. You fell in love, and you had a desire to encounter this God all the more, which brought you to the Word of God. It wasn't like tomorrow right. morning, oh, I got to do this, and I committed to it. Something right. happened uh, to give you an awareness of Christ's presence. And you, as you said also, which I love, it wasn't. Uh, you know, if you will, just warm, fuzzy feelings, or, you know, we have those, the darkness and the desert, we will experience that. Absolutely. But just like marriage, just like any other relationship, when you've encountered somebody, you don't do it for yourself anymore. You get the Christic, the, the quality of our Savior to sacrifice self for the good of other. Um, and, and you realize you're, we're defined by that, that our joy and our delight has a mission and it has a purpose. And it doesn't take away from the secular uh, realm that God calls us to, but it dignifies it. It becomes an occasion to communicate um, the life of Christ, in your case, from the background of football and speaking in those gifts that God has given you. So I want to shift here now. So, folks, I want to direct you to his site if you're interested, McCoy77.com. That's M-C-C-O-I-77.com if you want to find out more about this, the truth. McCoy, the real McCoy, Mike McCoy. Um, Mike, when I go to the tab, uh, your bio and results, for instance, it says, and this is just uh, mind-blowing, it is awesome when we talk about that fruit, that this is the, this encounter with Christ fueled you in this very moment, but through 781 presentations, reaching over 147,000 students, 94,000 plus opened their hearts to Christ as a result of your visiting them. You'll probably tell us about what football cards means, but 258,000 plus football cards and some kind of club you call the Book of Proverbs Club, over 41,000 of them. 
Uh, so, folks, we're dealing with somebody who, who has gotten in the presence of and communicated to this generation going back a couple decades. So while we have our Catholic kids and we experience them in our homes, we experience them maybe in sports, we see them, we interact with them, my brother Mike here has had the benefit of speaking to them and getting feedback from them of the reality of perhaps what they're really dealing with that many of us adults, parents notwithstanding, have no idea what's going on. So I want to ask you, Mike, give us a little portrait of that ministry and just open our eyes to, if you will, the state of the teen soul today that you're experiencing. Well, boy, uh, we're, we're looking at a cultural evolution here, I think, uh, in the last 10 years of what's going on because of the Internet, because of friends, because of what we're seeing on TV and what these young people are absorbing into their lives and uh, how faith is being attacked in our country today, and Christianity in particular. Um, So when I go in there, I have these comic cards, and and over the last nine years, I think it's been at least nine years, uh, one of the questions that I ask is, what's one thing holding you back? You know, what's that one... What's that one barrier? And I talk about my barriers growing up that I had. Mm-hmm. I read, you know, almost eight or nine, uh, ten different cards from different Catholic students who go from cutting and depression to suicide mm-hmm. to I'm wearing a mask, I'm depressed, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm stupid and I lost my virginity. I, I, I'm great. I'm not compromising my life anymore. Uh, so I do a, a cross-section of these different cards. And, uh, and, of course, at the end, I talk about John Paul II. One of, I think, one of, for me, mm. one of his great quotes, he says, Do not fear, open mm. your heart to Christ. Mm. Conversion is a personal decision. Accepting the saving, th- saving sovereignty of Christ, mm. becoming his disciple or his follower. Mm. So that's it right there. I mean, that's the gospel. I mean, it's mm. a decision that God loved us so much, he sent his son down upon the cross to die for you and I. He shed his blood for you and I. There had to be a penalty for sin. We all fall short. None of us are perfect. We all missed the mark. We're, we're not in the bullseye, and God is, God is going to judge us. But Jesus came in and took that judgment upon the cross, and he rose again to give us life now and for eternity. So when, he, when we accept that into our heart and into our life, we have the assurance of what, he, what he's saying in his word, that he who has a son has life, he who does not have a son does not have life. And John 3.16 is a great verse, and when I first saw that in the stands, I had no idea what it was my rookie year, some crazy guy with John 3.16. <laughs> and for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then 17 and 18, he says, uh, we, have, we, have, we have passed through condemnation because we believe. So what really... What really prevents people from from spending eternity in heaven is really not understanding and believing who Jesus is, mm-hmm. and, and and to me that was a big revelation. And so we ask, you know, for check marks, and then we go down and that fourth one, you know, what's one thing holding you back? And you know, I saw a statistic over Christmas that fifty six percent there's been a fifty fifty six percent rise in suicides in the middle school range in our country wow. today, Gosh. and I'm seeing that on the cards. Mm-hmm. And just in the last nine years, we had we've had over 400 comments come back and say that I'm contemplating suicide, mm-hmm. and or I, I feel like killing myself. And of course, you know we network with the schools on those. Obviously, some of these mm-hmm. cards that are you need immediate help. That's not I'm a more of a a, a conduit than, than I am a, a facilitator than I am a, than solving these problems because they have now all, I would say almost every Catholic school I go into in the last three years have added counselors mm, and to their staff because they have to, because these young people are, 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 
are hurting so bad. Mm-hmm. And so depression is going up, going up the roof right now, out the roof. Uh, mm-hmm. More more depressions I've ever seen. Um, a lot of stress and anxiety because of our culture and what these young people are experiencing very, very early in, in, in their life. Father Scott Jabo, who's on my advisory board, Love he's the headmaster at Cathedral Prep High School, he said that when he's, when he's starting reading these cards, he's been reading them now for, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years now. And he said, Mike, what... what I saw in high school, we're starting to see in middle school now the last two years. I said, absolutely. And so I do a lot more middle schools than I do high schools. And, um, and it's just, uh, it's amazing what these kids put down because they only have like four or five minutes to write on these cards. So it's a God thing. It's a spirit thing. And uh, then the ones that open their heart to Christ, you know, we have a little follow-up letter. Then a book of Proverbs is kind of interesting. We challenge them to read the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. It'll take you one month to read it. Take five minutes a night. So I'm trying to get the young people to read on their own. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if they go to Mass on Sunday, even if they go, a lot of them don't. But if they do go to Mass, they're hearing a couple verses, and that's it. And then what do you do the rest of the week? Mm-hmm. So it's just called the Book of Proverbs Club. And, and a lot of schools have taken that banner up and have done it through their theology classes to get these young people to start reading God's Word on their own. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so if, if we were to hear Wormwood or screw tape from the great book by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, mm-hmm. the story of uh, fictitious but very, very true and real uh, of how the way the enemy whispers to us. Um, I suspect one of the core lies that the enemy whispers to this generation and has been reinforced by the institutions around it is that truth is something you create. It's not someone who created us. Truth, moral truth, yeah, whatever. No absolutes. And, th- and that yeah. desire... What we desire is its own validation of good. I'll say that again. That by mere fact of desiring sexually or any other thing means it must be valid morally. And we've created kind of a culture around that to reinforce it. And parents have been marginalized and teachers in speaking about it. We had a circumstances here even in a Catholic school in the last few months that uh, publicly has made national news for not having the audacity to speak directly to God's design of man and woman and having the audacity to live their Catholic nobility and bowing to maybe some of those voices that were overwhelming in the social media mm-hmm. against God's truth. So you're seeing the fallout. You're experiencing the the actual brokenness as a result of people not embracing this. Tell us how you maybe struggle in your speaking or one-on-ones with these people in communicating the truth in that cloud of lie. Well, you just speak the truth, which is God's word. And um, you, know, you talk about the enemy. You know, the enemy is real, he's a liar, he's a thief, he's a deceiver, he's the father of lies. Mm-hmm. And I tell the students this, he's like a roaring lion pounding around trying to devour its victims. Because mm-hmm. this enemy does not want to know, does not want us to know what God's plan and purpose is for our life. Because God knew us before we were born, he knit us in his womb, we're made in his image and likeness, we have value and worth in his sight. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to get your self-worth from a relationship or from the society. You get your you get your self-worth from your creator. And the enemy wants to bring that down because he's put these landmines out there. You know, I talk about those mm-hmm. landmines called the sad word, sex, alcohol, and drugs. And then there's another landmine out there called friends. Friends can be a landmine or a safe haven, depending on the kind of friends you have. You know, I heard a statistic about 40, 50 years ago. They did a survey in Redlands, California, about teachers in the public schools. What's the worst thing going on? Well, you know, come underneath mm-hmm. the chair putting gum in girls' mm-hmm. hairs, running around and talking in class. <laughs> the you know, good old days. Uh, about 10, 
Yeah, 10 years ago was, well, uh, murder, drugs, mm. uh, sexuality, you know, just the things that are in our culture today. So we've seen, we've seen that shift. The shift has gone from faith, family, and friends to friends, friends, friends. Eh, maybe family and faith is kind of irrelevant right now mm. in a lot of these young people's lives, and which is unfortunate. And uh, so I've seen those shifts. You know, I, I was in Houston, Texas, um, last uh, January, just three weeks ago, and one of the cards I got back just really just floored me and took me took me a while to kind of absorb what, what I was reading. And this is a sixth grader in a Catholic school in Texas. He says, I feel like killing myself because I don't want my parents to know that I'm a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Sixth grade. Wow. Now, how does a sixth grader know that they are that they that they feel that they're lesbian right. well it's, it's from the enemy yeah. you know it's our culture it's telling them so there's a lot of gender confusion mm-hmm. right now happening mm-hmm. in our culture and uh, we're seeing it play out day by day and that's one of the lies of the enemy mm-hmm. and uh, so it takes a strong church it takes strong leadership it takes strong people to stand up and say, oh, wait a minute you know, this is this is not what God's word says, and to take the blast because you're going to get blasted for that from the sure. PC crowd. And um, right. it's, when I go into the schools and I, I do talk about sexuality, you know, what God has designed as good between a man and a woman are committed to each other, mm-hmm. who are committed to each other in a sacrament. Our culture has distorted, mm-hmm. and because of this distortion, there's a lot of people in pain physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And boy, I've seen that too. You know, one of one of the one of these one of the comments that I have in front of me says, "I'm stupid. I lost my virginity, and I wish I didn't. Please pray for me." Uh, Another one said, "This I can't say I have any barriers because I made the decision. Here we go. My freshman year to not give others the power to influence me. I've seen marijuana destroy and change many of my family and friends. I promised myself to never do it." Thank you for shedding light on this. That's awesome. Wow. You know, so there it is. And uh, I could read hundreds of these type of comments, you know. Wow. And, uh, you know, the vaping thing. <laughs> you talk about distortion in our culture the last two years. That's a big one, too. Mm-hmm. And that people are just starting to get their, to wrap their, wrap their, uh, mind about. Yeah. Another one says, I'm happy. I'm drug free. I don't give, given the peer pressure. Never will. Someone says, Here, here's a big one. I want to be with my with my boyfriend. You know what I mean? But everything is telling me not to, and it's hard and confusing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's just, uh, just something we battle in our culture today, and we know that uh, the moral decline is there, and it's going to take leadership mm-hmm. not only in all the churches, but uh, leadership within our adult community. <laughs> There's this one, I ran across this one called uh, Mommy Activist, and uh, oh, she's, she's, she's starting to shed light on, on what's going on through mm. through her organization, and she's an incredible, incredible lady, what she's doing, and she has to, she has to be, she has to travel with bodyguards now. Wow. And she has seven or eight children. Unbelievable. And, uh, just for trying to speak the truth. It's a website. And I've learned a lot just just going to listen to what she has to say. Mommy activist is the name is her name. You're yeah. saying okay. Wow. Check that out. Yeah. And just to, this most of the schools that you go in and are are Catholic schools, and I think too often parents kind of relegate their primary responsibility, thinking that the schools can handle it. You know, they're paying Catholic schools the money to form them and to you know educate them and a whole realm of things. And 
I know in different conversations that we have with solid families, the parents have no clue or are shocked mm-hmm. by what is not being done there and or that it's a safe no, haven no. for them. And you're giving yeah. great uh, witness from these cards and your one-on-ones with these kids that there's right. unfortunately not a big difference between you know, the Catholic school issues and just the normal public school issues, which yeah. is sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and Mike, then you look at the halftime show. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I'm glad we didn't. We yeah. kind of suspected where that was going to go when we heard the commentary. You know, I, I went ahead that. and watched it because I, yeah. I wanted to make sure that I saw it because if I need to comment on it, yeah. I, yeah. Feel I didn't watch it and people say you didn't watch it. Well, I watched it. And, yeah. Uh, you know. It was it was pretty trashy, yeah. and then you know then Jeb Bush comes out and says the best halftime show he's yeah, ever seen. What is up with that? Unbelievable. Well, and here yeah, you have yeah. the complete objectifying of women, and has anyone the heard of the Me Too, Me Too movement? movement? And yeah, yeah, we could go on and on. So, about that. Yeah. Mike, yeah. speak for a second. Um, I don't know. Two parents, um, and we'll even say those who are listening, maybe principally Catholic parents. Their kids, all of them have devices, so already they have a conduit to content that can jeopardize their soul. Let's just proclaim the truth here. Pornography is grave matter. It can lead to mortal sin. If people study it, it rewires the brain in fundamental ways. The phone itself, even apart from that content, we encourage our listeners to to get Catherine Price's book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. That's the title. Of course, she's not that radical to say break up with your phone, but she captures the latest physiology, neurology to understand the implications of this. So I identified a couple things here. The phone, identified pornography, um, sexual activity. By the time they're in college, we know, by the way, the average number of sex partners for a man is over nine. Average number of sex partners. The average number of sex partners for a woman in college is seven. Is there anybody, any parent who would ever hold up the flag and say, that's that's where we want our kids to be? And do they realize that what happens there is being forged and determined by the audacity we have as parents to assume our appointing anointing right now. So I'm kind of began by asking a question. How do you speak to parents, a majority of whose are engaged, if not fully, in some of these things, partaking of it, vulnerable to it, hearing it being talked about? I'll just make this point also. A number of parents recently, uh, all of whose kids go to represent at almost every Catholic school, but it's a group of parents, and they were in consensus about the toxicity of the culture. They had certain positive things about respective teachers and movements, but the toxicity of the culture that their kids experienced was was beyond belief. So speak, if you will, as we have with love, and obviously we struggle and we know that we have our own stuff that we need strengthening in, but to parents to encourage them to understand and to lean into, what advice would you give? Well, number one is prayer. You know, mm-hmm. mom and dad get together and start praying for their, for their children, being aware of who their friends are. I know uh, my mom always wanted my friends to come over to the house and I was wondering why she did that because she wanted to find out who they were, mm-hmm. what kind of people they were, and uh, then then after they found out what a what a fun mom my my mom was <laughs> and they could have fun with her, they always they wanted to come to the mm-hmm. house, you know, afraid of your sister but loved your mom. <laughs> yeah, 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 and uh, and uh, I think that's a big thing. The other thing is that you know put those computers in the main part of the room. That that's mm-hmm. where the kids can only use their computers when you know everyone's around because when they close that door, they they do open the world, and Satan's able to come in through that computer into their bedrooms. 
and uh, limit the cell phones. Uh, I mean, I would say Blackberries. I mean, basically, what, what does a child need a cell phone? It's just more of, uh, hey, mom, I'm calling you. Uh, you know, keep in touch. Hmm. Um, you know, go back to the old flip phone with Blackberries because do they need a, a computer that's in our hand? Right. That that these computers we have, these cell phones, these iPhones we have, have more computing power. Than, than Apollo 13. Right. You know, so through that little right. phone, is, is they, they wrap their lives around that, as we know how that changes brainwaves. So I would encourage parents to say, you know, it's time for a flip phone, or if they haven't gotten a phone yet, say, hey, you can't really have one until maybe you're at least your junior or senior year, but right now here's a flip phone for just emergencies and we can keep in touch mm-hmm. type of deal. Um, I would encourage parents to do that and uh, and then pray with your kids. Mm-hmm. Well, pray, well, I don't know how to pray. We just say to our Father. Mm-hmm. Just sit down and grab their hands. Say we're going to say to our Father tonight. You know, as as a family. You know, pray together as a family. Uh, that would be, I think, some immediate steps you can take. And you're not going to get pushback because the kid says, "Oh, come on, mom and dad. You know, my <laughs> friends do this. So what? I don't. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care what your friends do. We care about you. We're doing this because we love you, not because we want to hold back anything." That you're going to have fun with, but you're going to you're going to know and understand how this is going to help you in the future. Mm-hmm. So those are just some of the basic things that I think Burns can do right now to to stem the tide. Because you know, once they go outside the door, they go into those schools, they go to their friends' places. They there's no there's no longer any control, and the older they get, mm-hmm. it gets harder, obviously. So um, I would encourage parents to do that, That's and awesome. obviously go to church with your kids. Yeah, um, you know they've. Don't send them off by themselves. Even though you may not want to go, just go. Right. <laughs> you, know, you, you may get something out of it. So yeah, I would great. encourage parents to do that. Good stuff. Oh, yeah, if I could add something, uh, uh, questions, asking good questions, and just give personal testimony here in our home, Schleter home. Uh, we... Um, have Covenant Eyes, we had Bark, we have Disney Circle, which I can't re- recommend more highly to our listeners, Disney Circle. It gives control. And oh, by the way, the goal is not to deprive them of the encounter and the battle. Uh, it's to help forge in them the strength and the virtue and the ownership that doesn't surpass their own willpower. As many saints have even said, you know, if you know, you put the in so many words, if you're hanging out in a barber shop, you're gonna get your hair cut. I mean we pray to free us from all temptation. Deliver us from temptation. We put ourselves in places of temptation. If we believe that, if we've experienced that, we as parents need to recognize, and I'm just echoing what you said. So in spite of all of this even control that we have over our Internet atmosphere, I would still say to my sons and to my daughters, how are you struggling with the Internet? And it's in public. The computers are in public and such. How can I help you, you know, battle with that? For some, in our case, it's not even full-blown porn or whatever, but just, you know, my question is kind of like, how are we seeking that Romans 12, 1 and 2 to believe that our souls will never lose the desire because God gave it to us for him. He gave us this godly desire. So it's how do we calibrate that desire towards God? And obviously, that's the key question. I mean, often I think this is a key thing too, Mike. I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. We tell people, don't do this, don't do that. But the heart of every desire is a desire to know our Creator. It's a desire to be in intimacy with our God. And people are trying to fulfill that desire through lesser things, secondary things. And uh, so I guess I want to ask you the question, how do you experience or have you experienced some triumph stories? Maybe you get a letter a year later, two years later, from the folks that you've spoken with by communicating that truth that have come around to rightly orient their desire to God where everything takes order. 
Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, because of these HIPAA laws, it's pretty hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, I've had contacts with uh, students years ago in, in, in these schools where I got a letter back from a one young man who, uh, who heard me speak one time at a, at, a, at a function. I'm not even sure where. I don't think it was even a school assembly, but he uh, was obviously moved by it, and uh, he asked me to help him get into Notre Dame. I said, you know, I don't, I don't have any pull there, but I wrote a letter of recommendation. Mm. He got in. I didn't even know he did get in at the mm. time. He uh, became a dentist. And now he has uh, three kids and two dogs, and That's awesome. he, uh, you know, and he he wrote me a letter thanking me for uh, helping him understand principles of life and getting into Notre Dame. And I didn't even know uh, I, that, that he even got in. To tell you the truth, I just wrote the letter and never heard from him. That's awesome. It was almost fifteen years later that I did. Um, but but I, you know, where I get the immediate responses from these cards, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, you've seen the comment cards that I sent yeah. out, and you read those comments, yep. and you see these kids say, "Oh, thank you, you know, for helping me." You know, I was I was heading down the wrong path, and now you've given me a chance to make a choice and, and go down a go down a different path. Uh, I need to get rid of my friends because they're they're ruining my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've helped me in uh, understanding the, who Christ is and what God is, and it's you know, it's a fifty minute assembly, so I know that's not me. Obviously, it's the platform, the NFL, the, in, the, in, the in Notre Dame that attracts them a little bit in the little highlight film I showed in the beginning. <laughs> but then as the power of God works, as God's word goes out, because he says his word will never come back void. And then they start listening, and their hearts are open a little bit. You know, they pray with me, and, um, you know, the Spirit just works in their life. And I've been closing with, a, with Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. It says, This day I called heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I've said before you life and death, blessings and curses. Mm-hmm. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and, and hold fast to him. So there's that choice again, Greg and Stephanie. Awesome. And he's mm-hmm. given us the choice between life and blessings, and he's given us the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. And that's our choice. And uh, and and I think Scripture is filled with the, these different choices that God sets us before us. Now here he's talking to the to the uh, to the Jewish community, but that also that also implies to our right, own lives too, because that's the choice He has given us. Mm-hmm. So we start choosing life from God's perspective. He's gonna He's gonna bless us even in the hard times, because as you know, it's tough. Uh, there's a lot of trials and tribulations. But I always look at it as a sad word versus the glad word. And the glad word is G-L-A-D. It's called God, love, acceptance, and direction. Mm. When we accept God's unconditional love, that he always, he's already accepted us, but we're just kind of sitting there waiting. And when we accept that unconditional love in our life, he comes into our heart, and, he, and through the power of the Spirit, he starts giving us directions in our life. Mm. And then we grow from that by, by, by living our faith, as best as we can, and getting to God's word, and, and let that let God's word transform us. Transform us, because that's why I, I I talk about the Proverbs thirty one club, Book of Proverbs club, just to get these young people to start reading scriptures on their own. Right, so important. And I just want to um, underscore, if you will, you shared a couple comments before and alluded to it just a few moments ago that. Certainly the Lord, without question, is working through you to touch these kids and to make some big changes and, you know, their cries for help and, you know, just all the stuff that you can see on those cards that's heartbreaking and how the Lord's grace can just break through that. But I, um, the underscore is 
there are kids who are making the right decisions, as you said, but they need mm. that encouragement so much because it is so difficult to remain strong. So your words of encouragement in those ways, too, is so profoundly beautiful. And I just want to remind our listeners, whether it's parents or grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, whomever, that don't just assume that all is, you know, because the young people in your life seem to be doing okay and making some great decisions by God's grace. They still need that encouragement and um, those reminders over and over again, you know, to walk with them, to remain strong. You know, now is the, now is the time. And I think it's, it's important for all of us who have eyes to see looking at the events of the world, looking at the advancement of technology and the DNA and, and the things that are happening that have never happened before and the acceleration of this. You spoke of this with regard to access to the Internet, the things that we're exposed to now versus even 10 years ago, how access to cell phones have radically changed the way we live. You know, Even with all this form of quote-unquote communication, there's never been a greater level of, uh, of, of depression and suicide, of alienation. And you know, I just want to say to you parents and just chime in, in here, uh, Mike and Steph, if you, you know, recognize that we've been marginalized. And that feeling of awkwardness, that feeling of res- reserve or doubt, maybe it was a model for us when Mike says, you know, lean in there and pray with them, even something as simple as the Our Father, or ask a good question. We can't wait anymore. I mean, we can't wait anymore. These seeds, let me say right now, in this moment, the seeds that exist in our children, which are a combination of good seed and bad seed, all of us, because we're not saints, where those seeds and uh, what allows them to grow and where that will lead them a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, in eternity, are determined right now. And that means being united as, as adults, as families, and engaging, if you will, number one, in our own spiritual life. Like, are we in the saddle? Like, you, you brought this up, Mike, and I think it's so key. Am I giving compelling witness? Or, or maybe, you know, tonight, the, the strong prompting is, you know, I was reading this in Ralph Martin's great book, The Fulfillment of All Desire, talking about the saints. And they essentially say, you know, if you don't have that desire for God, and you exhibited this in your story, Mike, pray for it. Dear Lord Jesus, increase my desire for you. May I recognize that until I find you, as Augustine said, you know, I'm going to be in the wilderness, My heart's not going to rest until I rest in you. Which of us don't experience a restlessness? Now, certainly, we're going to experience that in this life because we're pilgrims passing through. And until we meet our maker, and that hopefully, God willing, that beatific vision. But there's a restlessness that's unnecessary because we're not attuned to our wayward hearts. And we as adults, what if husbands and wives, and we asked good questions and said, you know, how can I, how can we together Pray to have a greater desire for God and to receive that grace all the more in the sacraments, obviously the Word of God. But I can't say more strongly to you parents, and just if you don't mind a quick commercial on what we're all about, trying to be about, I love my us. I love my family.us. We're trying to respond to that chasm between knowing truth and professing truth, which is easy. You hear the great speaker, the great talk, the great book. It moves us. We understand it. We get it when they're speaking. And then ask the question, well, what difference did it make a day, a week, a month, a year later? How different is next year, January 2021, going to be as a result of the decisions I make right now to seek God's grace in my personal life first, secondly, my marriage and my family. So I love my family.us, folks, is an encouragement to, to take a small step, to put that flag in the sand, to provide an atmosphere to talk and pray. And I can say this, 
Steph and I are doing this now seven years. Um, those families that say this, that press beyond the awkwardness, that press beyond the fears and the doubts and all that stuff we have, that actually do it, they're experiencing, and there's no other word, transformation. They're experiencing a new delight. Mm-hmm. Take apart that word, of light versus darkness. They're experiencing a new delight in their relationships. They're talking about meaningful things. The kids, doors are open for them that have never been open before. Because at the end of the day, and maybe you can speak to this, Mike, you're, you're experiencing kids who want to know they're loved, which means they want to know from mom and dad to hear them say that, but also who mom and dad who care enough to get below the surface and ask questions about their fears, their thoughts, their strengths, their hopes, their dreams, all that stuff. They want to talk about that stuff with their mom and dad. Yeah, but they have to earn that trust a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go into that. I think parents are more. Yeah, I think parents are more reactive than they are. Uh, like I like the four R's to reflect and respond versus react and reject. I think a lot of parents want to react and reject when kids come That's to them. Good. If they get rejected, they're, they're going to shut them down. So it's more like sitting back, letting, 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 you know, build that trust up. Hey, you can trust me with different things. I'm not going to beat you over the head, but I'm not going to, you know, do different things, but I just want to know. And uh, so when you, when you do the four hours, when you, when you reflect on something, then you respond to it, it's a lot better than, than reacting, rejecting, and and sometimes I react and reject sometimes, and mm-hmm. that leads to uh, conflict, and leads to anger, and then rather than sitting back and just saying, okay, what happened here, what's going on, reflect and respond to it with loving, kind words, and, uh, you know, I've been guilty of that mm-hmm. uh, too often sometimes that Great I don't word. do that, but, Great word. Um, you know, the four R's, re- reflect and respond versus react and reject. Awesome. I always get in trouble when we react and reject right away. Good, and, good. And Mike, when you reflect and respond, it's it's it helps a lot. Before we uh, we're we're about six minutes away from coming in for a landing. Um, yeah. Just I want to get your your thoughts on looking through God's eyes, seeking the heart of the Father, and seeing things play out politically. The scandal in our church. You're experiencing it in schools. Just give us your sense of maybe how the Spirit's been speaking to you about this day and age. Well, you know, I think it's just a reflection of our culture, what's happening politically and the scandals in the church and uh, with dads. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, I, you know, that's a tough one, Greg, but mm-hmm. for me it, it, it comes right back to uh, putting God first in our lives, putting our families first, and uh, and the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole mm-hmm. body and your whole soul, and love others, and you love yourself, and you love, and you love yourself, and you love God as you love yourself. So it's coming back to self. It's coming back to say, okay, then I need to love God with my whole heart and whole mind and whole body and whole soul. And those are two greatest commandments. And as I look at our culture today, mm-hmm. we're, we're in, I think, the biggest cultural war we've ever been in. Yeah. You know, when you look at the forces that are out there, and uh, and we're looking at this uh, uh, State of the Union address that's coming up, and I don't care what you think about President Trump, but I'm going to tell you, he's the most pro-life president I've ever seen and ever witnessed. And I have a friend of mine, Mike Kelly, who is a Notre Dame grad, and he's a three, four-term congressman right now. And he got in because of what he was seeing in his in the business world, and I was collapsing in Butler, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. with different uh, different principles that are out there. And then you know he he has seen what this president has done. And I'm not saying he's perfect. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't you know we didn't elect a perfect man, 
but uh, he sure he sure is a pro-life president. He was the first president that spoke. He imagine the first president that spoke in person at a pro-life rally in January mm-hmm. in, in Washington D.C. That tells me a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Tells me a lot, and uh, that's to me. Mother Teresa, when she was at a uh, prayer breakfast. And she got up there and, and blasted uh, the administration at the time as President yep. Clinton, Clinton right? and says, "You know, you're killing your babies, give them to me." Because mm. she knows she knows understand when we're killing the unborn, we're we are desecrating what God has has made inside that womb. Mm. And uh, there are other ways to fix other ways to fix those problems rather than eliminating life. Mm. And because we've done that for so many years, we've seen the desecration mm. of uh, our culture and the respect for life. Well put. And uh, so I just think we need to pray for this country, number one, that we still that we can still be a light upon the hill. But it all comes back to the individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- where do you stand with Christ? Yeah. Have you ever invited Christ to come into your life? <clears throat> do you understand we all fall short of God's Mike, glory? Mike, I'm going to pause. Says, I'm going to pause you now because we have a minute. Translate what you're doing right now into a prayer. We got a minute left, and instead of talking about, okay. I'm doing an audible here on the line. Lead us right. who are listening. Absolutely, go with it. Okay, let's end in prayer. Lord God, as we end our time in prayer here today, we know there's a lot of people listening to our to this broadcast, and if they feel moved to open up their hearts, like John Paul II says, do not fear, open your heart to Christ. Conversion is a personal decision. You can make that right now. Mm-hmm. And pray this simple prayer after me that I said many, many years ago. I say, you know, Lord, I play the game of church. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life called sin, and I want to make a U-turn. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, shedding your blood for me, to pay the price for my sins, past, present, and future. I now open up my heart and ask you to come into my life, and you make me the kind of person that you want me to become. Thank you for coming in. And if you've ever earnestly prayed that prayer earnestly, God will say, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll never abandon you. He will give you that direction that we need in in our lives. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Tellers would be very proud of you, Mike. Father Tellers. <laughs> and Monsignor Bible. Monsignor Bible. Uh, very blessed and honored. We love you, Mike. You go with our prayers and thoughts in your mission, and we avail our hearts also. Each of us here in the mission we're called in this moment in our ordinary circumstances. So blessed to be united with all of you folks who are listening, especially those in this holy Toledo area. But know God has appointed you and anointed you for greatness, not tomorrow or next week, but right now. Let's receive this together for the glory of his name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.